Welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue. I visited the 98th meeting of the Internet Engineering Task Force in Chicago, courtesy of Huawei, who helped to fund travel for no reason other than to help us get the good word out about what the IETF is doing. To that end, we are speaking with several working group leaders and other IETF participants about what's on their minds. And today, our topic is DNS, and we have Tim Wisinski. Tim, you're the co-chair of DNS Operations and the DNS Privacy Working Groups. Correct. Welcome. Yeah. Give us a little bit about your background. So I've been in um, networking operations, DNS, for uh, 20, 30 years. I don't know. I currently work for a large software as a service vendor. I'll just leave it at that. And I'm sort of a bit obsessive about DNS. DNS. Okay. When, when you came up on my radar and said, yeah, I want to chat to you about DNS, I was like, oh, cool. Because back in the day, I worked for a, a small ISP. I was the hostmaster and I got into DNS and how it works and a little more about the background of it and all that stuff. But at the same time, I went, I thought DNS was kind of done. Yeah, isn't it done? Did, did we say that like every meeting. We sort of say, we're done, right? It's like, so it's interesting because I was, became co-chair like a few years ago and we've probably pushed out a lot of, a lot of work in the past couple of years. Just there's a lot of stuff going on. I would say most around stuff like DNS security, yeah. you know, making it sort of more robust, making it actually putting the tools in place so people can actually deploy it functionally. A lot around some of the DNS privacy stuff is a little different that sort of came out of the sort of the era of Snowden stuff. There's another working group that goes and talks about their, they've just finished up. It's on Dane, which is DNS authentication of named entities. It's literally the way of putting your TLS certificates into signed zones and then basically have browsers that can verify your cert on a constant basis. I view it as a better version than like the HPKP stuff that the W3C folks are talking about of, of sort of browser certification. Anyway, but DNS operations, it's, it's the bread and butter of, of DNS. It's where all the vendors sit and talk about stuff and try to figure out ways of sort of extending and sort of expanding on what's, what's out there. So, so that's a good, that's a good question because DNS is a more mature technology and there's a lot of operators that are using it and you are in fact in DNS ops. Yes. You just mentioned vendors providing input. I, I would think, do, do operators come to you with problems as well? Yes. We have operators that come. A lot of it's around scale now, right? It's like everything else, right? As we grow, you know, as things grow, it's like it's scale becomes always a problem. How do you how do you deal with large amounts of zones? How do you deal with large DDoSs? How do you deal with various ways of pushing data around in a very quick manner, right? How do you get stuff out? It's interesting how that's become usually one of the big points there, as we don't think, because everything starts to grow. We start see, you start seeing those underlying problems, right? So let's talk about scale for a minute. Then I'm going to make it, make some assumptions here. The kind of people that are going to be concerned about DNS scale at this point, DNS being really pretty efficient, you know, small packet sizes very often, are going to be large operators with lots and lots of zones that they're hosting for their customers, probably. So what sort of challenges are they running into? But also like large vendors, uh, folks like Cloudflare, folks like we do. We have we have very large zones that we that we constantly update regularly. And there were folks like, you know, cloud services folks, right, that are basically deploying stuff for a lot of third-party people, right? And they're having to deal with not just pushing out lots of zone and lots of updates, but dealing with it. How do you sort of segregate all that information, right? So customer A doesn't see customer B stuff, right? Or Okay, so multi-tenancy challenges. Multi-tenancy tenancy challenges as well. But you guys would take on a DNS multi-tenancy challenge within your group? Because this is like that could be like a lower-level function. Much more of a lower-level function. But it's you want to make sure that... The pieces are there, so so we're not actually building something that, oh, we've just made this big hole, right? And now people can just sort of drive a truck through it again, you know? And, and that's the thing about DNS. DNS is, I mean, it, it is. It's one of the underlying, it's like TCP, right? It's been around for a zillion years. And you look at it and you start digging through stuff and you realize like, oh, your query names travel all the way up to the root. The full name of the thing you look up is always going to the root. It's like, that was something that sort of came up during the whole era of snow. And it's like, oh, no one ever thought about that, right? And of course, many of the original DNS architects were like, well, sure, that seemed like a good idea because we were doing a lot of debugging of stuff, right? 
But of course, now that's like, well, that's less of an issue, right? So you, one of the things we put out by about a year or so ago was QNA minimization, where you don't actually send the whole query up to the root. You send parts of it up. And you figure out, let's, let's send .com up, and then let's send packetpushers.com, and let's go from there sort of thing. The challenge being scaling, scaling the root domains. Because yeah. it, it was funny, back in the day, you know, back in the day, wow, I'm starting to sound old myself. You would notice, you know, as an outside observer watching the DNS system that the, the number of root servers was growing. Oh, we yeah. added some more. Oh, we've added some more. Oh, we've added some more. And I think these days, however many, quote, unquote, root name servers there are, there's actually several bits of hardware behind them because they're all... They're, they're all, all anycasted. Yeah. Everybody does anycast, which was the DS stuff that, that came out of the DS world, mm-hmm. right? And we figure out how do we sort of scale. So that IP address shows up all over the place, right? And can, can basically give out that zone to folks. So there's, you know... K, I think it's up to K, so that's like 10 or something like that on the name. And that's pretty much the size of the packet at that point. You know, you can't, you can't put any more in there, as many as people want, right? But the TLD, you know, I can't sold a whole bunch of TLD, so the whole root space sort of expanded, you know. <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> by yeah. a lot. And so even sort of the root operators are sort of like, okay, we have these sort of larger zone issues, and, you know, we see slightly different things going on. Okay, so you want to drill in one of those scaling points that you just made. You said, well, how do we you know, not have to send everything all the way up to the root uh, query, uh, root domain? How do we do that? Because it's typically caching, and most people that understand yeah, DNS exactly. know that there's a lot of cache that's, that goes on. You ask a question, you get an answer back, and now your local DNS server hangs on to that record until the TTL expires. Exactly. So what the, root, what the caching server will do now do... There's some mechanisms to say, oh, don't actually send the whole query up the chain to the next place. Right. Send com, you know, see what comes back. Send packet pushers, you know, or you make some smart adjustments. You, you already have com cached. Oh, okay. It's just delegating around yeah. for every, okay. Exactly. Okay, okay. It's more of that then. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the caching side, I see this even with some of the vendors like OpenDNS and stuff where let's say you're looking up Facebook.com or Twitter.com. That's getting looked up all the time. That TTL is starting to expire. Well, there's some folks out there actually say, oh, that TTL is hitting some point, let's say 10% before the TTL expires. Let's go out and fetch that thing again so we have a fresh copy in the cache so we don't hit a cache miss and have to go back and look for it, right? So they're thinking about cache validation stuff like ahead of time, right? Oh, wait a minute, though. Architecturally, isn't that kind of a bad idea? Because part of the point of TTL is there's a presumption that addresses may change, and you don't want that record to live forever. So No, wouldn't... you don't. But as you watch that TTL countdown, and then maybe you have like a high watermark, a low watermark, it says, oh, you know, when the TTL is like 10% of the original TTL, right? Like, let's say it's a, th- let's say it's a 30 second TTL, and you have, you hit three seconds. Let's go fetch that again. You, you, you anticipate that TTL is going to expire, you prefetch it. And if you have a new value, have a new value. Yeah. If you don't, you don't. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because we're taking a lot of the stuff out of the HTTP world, right? which is very TCP-based, right? Even though DNS has a big TCP component, there's some options to do TCP keep alive. So if you're doing TCP DNS sessions where you're actually transferring large zones or something, there is a way to set an eDNS bit to basically say, keep this session alive. I want this thing to stay open. You may think, oh, that's crazy. But I've worked in places like, especially when data centers, where you've just got like giant Hadoop clusters that just are going to do queries like all day, right? And you just want that whole session to stay open and they're just going to pump queries at you until you fall down. We've learned some of the tricks of what HTTP has done, you know, with the keep alives and about prefetching and some of that stuff. And we're starting to, you know, like, let's, let's take advantage of that, right? There's some good technology that came out of the IDF at W3C. Okay, so I, I want to talk about DDoS challenges. So, so the Dyn attack was very public. Um, Dyn is actually in my backyard, headquartered in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. From a DNS perspective, what can be done to help mitigate DDoS attacks? Well, there's some stuff on sort of the just the standard query resolver side 
we're using, we've got a thing, and it's in, it's actually in Bind now and a couple of the other vendors. DNS cookies. Basically, you can set a cookie when you basically, or your the server can send a cookie back. And if somebody's basically doing DDoS or basically sort of spoofing addresses, it will return and basically it, the server will catch that and basically start dropping the packets. Now, on the DDoS mitigation side, what I've done where I've been and, and other places and we sort of really push is basically vendor resiliency, basically multiple vendors, right? Figure out a way to sort of spread your load across multiple vendors. You're going to have – nobody's going to be impervious to it, right? And so, you know, just – have your eggs in a couple of baskets sort of thing. So from a domain registrar perspective, you're talking, you know, if I've got my, you know, mycompany.com, I have it registered with several different, uh, as you say, providers. So, so how do I deal with, you know, synchronization of my records in that case? Yeah, that gets interesting because most folks do like your standard zone transfers and stuff like that. Then you get into the whole world where people are using everybody's vendor special tricks, right? Geolocation, you know, alias records, which are C names at the apex of a zone, right? Which are not standard, but everybody does it, right? It's like, it's like there's a lot of stuff out there that all the vendors do. None of it's really sort of been st- hammered out. In other words, but sending someone to a specific provider, depending on what part of the world they're from. Well, you put them all in your names, in your, basically your name server records, right? And just, and the nice thing about, you know, DNS is when you do those queries, it, whatever comes back is what it's going to listen to, right? So if one of your vendors is, you know, being hammered in one part of the world, they're not going to respond. And so the resolvers are just going to be smart and say, okay, we're just not going to pick that up. Right. They, they know there's several different NS records that could be in there. Like, okay, they're not responding. I'm going to go to, boop, the next yeah. one in the list, whoever that is, which is kind of a natural way of okay. dealing with that situation. Yeah. Okay, this is really a design question then. In other words, this is look at what options you have naturally within DNS. Think about what would happen if someone was attacking the name server that was hosting my zone. How do I stay online? And then and you just got to be smart about it. Exactly, yes. And, and the Dyn attack was definitely against their, against their Anycast network, right? And I think that that was a concern because all the root zones, all the root, you know, TLD operators all run giant Anycast networks, right? And it's all, it was all very TCP based. And one thing I've noticed in running sort of those TCP Anycast networks is you always want unicast fallbacks, right? You always want something to sort of suck up that, you know, to be able to have a fallback in case that thing falls over. In other words, some addresses that are not Anycast. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk through that. What would that bring you? Because Anycast is, just for those people listening, you've got an address that's announced to the global BGP routing system from multiple places, and wherever it happens to be closest to you, as BGP would converge in your area, is where you're going to go. And so if you're in Africa and that address is there, you'll go to that location. And if you're in North America, you'll go there, etc. Okay, so if, if I have Unicast as a backup, how does that help so, me? So usually what you'll do is you'll pin up a slash 24 as your uni- Anycast network, mm-hmm. and then you'll use a slash, slash 23 that it's a part of as sort of your Unicast fallback. So one thing I've noticed over the years is sometimes those routing tables get sort of big and sort of un, you know wieldy. The smaller routes start to drop out, right, when there's you know big routing table foo, right? And I'm no routing guy person, right? And then the larger slash 23 is going to pick up pick that up. And also if you Unicast that 23... Or maybe you announce it in one or two spots, right? And you don't try to do anything fancy with it. It will, you know, in worst case, if that that 24 falls over, that 23 will still show up, right? And so that's what you're kind of hoping for, is you're hoping for that last line of defense. And then you still want just random unicasts that are sort of out there that are going to sort of be responsive. Typical BGP uh, design stuff. Again, just just thinking through what tools do I have to make this happen. And that exact thing where you've got a a larger block and then a smaller block you're announcing from a different location within that larger block. 
again, it falls off the network, the larger block picks up, and you can take traffic in at that location now. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. DNS privacy. So DNSSEC got a lot of press maybe, oh gosh. 10, 15 years ago? I don't don't think it was... was, Earlier than that, I was going to say more like five, you know, it was yeah. uh, all the press and, and you know, how to deal with that and what version of buying was going to cope with it and whether or not you were going to do it. And what's the uptake been on that? I mean, how many folks have signed and so on? I'd say not that many. And part of what I think, um, I think Cloudflare is probably the best example of a large commercial provider that's signing large zones rapidly that are sort of, you know, out there selling stuff. Okay, so maybe we should back up a bit because I think there's going to be some people here who just maybe they've heard of it, they kind of don't know what it is. They looked at it and went, oh, crap, that looks too complicated. I don't get it. I'm going to figure it out later. In a nutshell, just give us what, what, are, the, what are the mechanics of DNSSEC? What is it giving me and what does it take to make it happen? So the, the, what, is, what it's basically doing is you're, you're, assigned, you're taking a key, you're making a key, and you're signing your zone with it. And then essentially what you're getting is an ability to prevent man-in-the-middle attacks. Right. So if somebody, you know, hijacks 8.8.8.8 and starts injecting their records into your zone because your zone signed with a key, you should be able to sort of when other resolvers do queries, they'll come back and say, no, that's you know, that's on a valid zone, which actually is happening in other parts of the world, as we know right now. Right. So it doesn't give you a lot. It gives you that. It mostly protects from that sort of man-in-the-middle hijacking of queries kind of thing. And again, just to, eight, 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 eight. I'm assuming everyone here listening would know this, but that's Google DNS. That's it's, cool. it's, it's, a lot of people host. And, and one, of the, one of the sort of dirty secrets I think that's come out in the past few years is a very small percentage of servers handle a large amount of the Internet queries now. Right, Open DNS, Google, some of the, you know, it, it's like, wow, when you look at some of those numbers, you're like, oh man, you know, it's like, just give them all your data. Google made it so easy to remember the numbers, exactly. 8888 and 8844, that just people just use that by default now, and because it's very responsive, it's any casted all over the world. Exactly. Uh, and then Open DNS is hard to remember, but the, the service has been around so long, so well known. Exactly, and it's very solid, and... You know, and so it's like, of course, you'll just use it sort of thing. So, again, that someone manages to get a hold of uh, 8.8.8.8 and begins absorbing queries there. If they don't have the proper keys, they're, they're not signed, exactly. uh, then so, you know, okay, this is, this is whatever they're serving me is crap. Yes. And, uh, and would, <laughs> which you would want to know because if they could be serving you a fake page for, for a bank, let's say, that's got malware they're going to serve to you. Exactly. Now, you would have to be doing validating query. Like, you'd have to be doing lookups that were basically doing DNSSEC validation, which most people don't do either, right? So it's kind of a, it's kind of a two-edged sword. And I think the bigger problem in deploying it has always been the lack of tooling, right? It's always – I remember trying to sign zones and bind. It was always this sort of complicated, you know, got to do this and got to run this, got to do that. I think some of the things we've done over the past couple of years is trying to get better tooling in place to not just, you know, figure out how to, not just really so much sign zones, but how to update those keys, right? Because once you actually get your keys, you still have to get them, like, into your registrar account. We sign, you know, packetpushers.com. You have a pair of, like, DS keys, they call them. You still have to go to the folks that you actually register your domain with and have those keys, put those keys in there so they end up in the root in the root server, right? I'm assuming there's also ongoing maintenance with that. Yes, and rollover and stuff like that. So some of the stuff we've done, you know, the past few years is is basically, you know, new record types that you can put those keys in your zone. The, you know, authoritative servers actually start to see that and they say, oh, that's that's your new DS key. I'll pick those up and roll those up. Right. We're trying to figure out ways of how to do that sort of more in band without having sort of these out of band sort of problems. Right. You know, where you have to contact it. And because I think that's the one thing it's like people sign the zone. And they're like, oh, I'm not going to contact GoDaddy or whoever, get my keys loaded. It's too much work. Right. I'll just. You know, I'll just, okay, I'll just call it done sort of thing. So, yeah. but it is always sort of half done. The challenge then is really reducing the adoption yeah, barriers. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, making it push button. And so I think that's been one of the bigger problems. And it's it's so funny because you get to a point where if things are working good enough, people just I got enough. I got other things to worry about. I'm not gonna touch it. Yeah, I know. One of the it's, and it ends up at the bottom of the list. It's a nice to have. I really know. I know I should get these zones signed. I know I should. Ah, one of these days, you know. Right now, I got you know 15 other things I got to worry about. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay, I want to go back to something kind of a fundamental here with uh, with DNS. Most people think of DNS as UDP because the typical yes. queries are UDP, but in fact, there are a bunch of things that are TCP, like zone transfers are TCP, and also larger UDP. You, you know, I I still sometimes run across networking and say, "Well, it's only five twelve byte packets." It's like, no, no, no. You know, DNS packets, you know, can be UDP up to four K. It's like there's, you know, the eDNS thing came out like 15, 20 years ago. It's like, and so that allows that allows sort of a sliding scale on UDP packet size. And so I'll regularly run. Across firewalls or already running across network folks who are just like no 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 it's five twelve byte UDP I learned this in my Cisco class and you know go away kid right now, you actually just said something that I hadn't run into you said eDNS you said UDP packets that could be up to four K in size yeah. yes so there was an eDNS extension I think Vixie did uh, like twenty years ago or so oh wow that that it basically is that you can set an option that you can negotiate the size of the UDP packet. And part of that reason was before you jump to TCP, can there be a way of doing this more efficiently, right? And so, and generally now... UDP, less overhead, less, you know, you don't have to do the three-way handshake and, you know, and so and on. And now, of course, you know, of course, it's, of course, with folks like Quick and stuff all deploying as UDP, right? Everybody's like going back in the UDP bandwagon, right? And so, you know, you want this thing of saying, oh, I just want to push like, you know, these sort of larger packets, right? And inside data centers and stuff, why not, right? It's, you know, 4K packets should be nothing. Inside data center, yeah. sure, should be nothing. Of course, if you think about it from an internet perspective, then, you know, and traversing firewalls. Yeah. And most of it, you know, is you're dealing with like old middle boxes, you're dealing with, you know, funky firewalls, you know, you, you know the whole story. It's always a network engineer's nightmare. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, but the fallback is always TCP. And they're not just for zone transfers, for just larger packet transfers, right? If you're, if you're, if your packet size gets over, you know, a certain thing, it's got to fall back to TCP. Okay, so kind of related to this is uh, Happy Eyeballs and uh, V4 versus V6 queries. Uh, Apple made a presentation yesterday to the V6 Ops Group about uh, some modifications to Happy Eyeballs based on their own statistics and what they were seeing as they observed the world. They pointed out we've got about a billion devices out there. They understand the behavior. A lot of their devices are dual stack. They're V4 and V6 because they got their, their phones. And they pointed out something I thought was interesting. It looked like, I'm trying to remember the graph and so on, and I believe they were showing that you were getting better response times from V6. Yes, I've seen that too. And I've seen that. I've seen Facebook give a similar talk about a year or so ago. And so I, I'm not understanding the bits behind it other than there's, some, there's something going on but I've seen sort of the same. I've seen sort of the same pieces, and I'm trying to. Under, I, I'm trying to remember like what was the underlying like math behind it all, right? Well, at, at a high level, you know, what in the DNS ops world is there any contention or issues in you know v4 versus v6 and migration and dual stack and so no, on? No, I think the only thing that we're thinking about in the DNS world is how do you return? You know, how do you return both? Right. So now, like your C library on your Unix boxes, when it looks up a host, it'll look up 
for a V6 address, and then it will look up for V4 address. That quad A record versus a, a, an A record. And so we've we've been having these discussions internally about like, well, maybe we push both of them to the people, right? It's like maybe the server decides you're asking for A, but I'm going to send you quad A anyway. Or maybe you're asking for, you know, maybe we just send you both at the same time and save you the hassle of actually asking twice. You know, we've been sort of having these discussions of, of maybe the, the client should query for more stuff or maybe the server should push. You know, which, which way do we want to – we want to get that stuff out there faster to people without having them have multiple queries. What would the argument be against sending both an A and a quad A? When we sort of hash it out in the meetings, and there was a really interesting session in Berlin last time, um, you should have cut, you know, um, where it seems like it's it's more like people don't want the server telling them. It's like they want to be able to sort of ask for everything, right? They want to say, "Give me everything," right? And and then the server will just give it to them. It's I think it's a little bit of you know. In other words, I'd rather ask the question, give me, give me any sort of records that you have that would resolve yeah. this name for me, whether it's V6 or V4. But, but they want to ask the question. They don't want to ask for, a v, for an A record specifically and get back both. Yeah, yeah do not, you're not the boss of me kind of thing, right? Yeah, because it does, it does put a – it's an issue for the coder, right, on that, yeah. that client resolver side to be able to deal with an unexpected – effectively an unexpected answer. Be conservative in what you send and liberal in what you receive, right? It's, it's that sort of, you know – it, that's sort of that underlying IETF motto of, you know, be cautious in what you send, but take everything you get, right, is, is probably the best way to, you know, that's, that's sort of one of those old school, along with like running code and. and yeah. 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 Oh, that, that's, just, that's interesting, though, because if you get them both back, then a lot of the presentation that or a lot of the challenges that we have as V4 versus V6, that initial setup and how you make the decision goes away goes if you've away. got both bits of information at the exactly. same time, because exactly. now you've got no wasted time at all, no Okay, I got my V6 record, but I'm going to wait. I'm waiting for the V4 record to yeah. show up. Maybe you, I need you don't to have that, that problem. Just in case. Now they're both here. Exactly. Tim, as we were going back and forth in email, kind of talking about uh, doing this recording, you'd mentioned that over the last few years, there'd been a bunch of RFCs, some standard ones, some informational ones. Are there some highlights you want to bring up? Some of the, the more interesting ones, a lot, a lot of the stuff's been around DNSSEC, I've noticed. There's been some stuff around things like the TCP Keep Alive option. So if you are doing TCP and you're doing lots of, lots of DNS queries, you can, you can set a little bit EDNS option to basically keep that connection open. DNS cookies, which is basically sending a little SYN cookie along in your query response packet to prevent for spoofing, you know, basically spoofing, which is one of the big things they do in DDoSs, right, is, is IP spoofing. That was kind of a very interesting one. I think there's, you know, the QName minimization, it's, it's interesting. I was looking at them last night. And there was a mix of informational stuff talking about how to do DNSSEC key rollovers, you know, and I remember, you know, just the math involved and sort of getting all the timing right. And the various ways of doing it. You can do it this way. You can do it that way. That's a common problem. It's computing. a common problem. Yeah. And just basically laying out all the different options and, and walking people through all the different steps. We've done informational stuff like that. Some, you know, experimental stuff like the TCP keep alive option and things like that. But things that vendors are like, oh, yeah, I'll implement that. Right. Oh, it's already in bind. Right. It's like, OK, great. Or it's already in PowerDNS. Or actually, leading up to a, another question is: as these new features come to light in DNS, what is the implementation like? Uh, is it, it? It sounds like there's a, a few scenarios here. Some things it sounds like maybe the open source community bind uh, maintainers maybe had already created it, and or then they've had these discussions in the meetings. They're like, "Oh yeah, we can add that." Or you know, there's an interesting one that you know everybody seems to use, which is the C name records at a root zone. Right? It's a standard. It's illegal. Because you can't have a C name at, with anything else at a, at a sort of label. Um, but everybody does it. You know, all the vendors do it. And they do it by basically doing a query on the back end and getting the result and sending the result back. And part of the reason it doesn't quite work is because it kind of breaks DNSSEC a little bit. 
Well, we had a new folks come in from um, DNS Simple. They're like a small DNS, you know, mid-sized DNS vendor. And um, first time the ITF, he's like, well, I've, you know, we've been doing this. And I wrote this, wrote this draft. I was like, submit it. Let's see what's going on. And it's interesting because it showed up on the mailing list, got some good feedback from the, like the power DNS people. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we can, we'll be, we'll be glad to work with you on this, right? It's like, we'll be glad to sort of, you know, basically implement that and, and sort of align along a sort of a, a sane idea, right? It's, and, and I think some of the vendors are very willing to sort of coalesce around sort of solid ideas, right, is a good way to put it. Yeah, in other words, you don't have to be the biggest DNS uh, exactly. vendor around to yeah. get any traction in the exactly. ITF. And, and part of what I, I feel my, our job as a chair is sort of to, to, to format that. We, you know, we have no real power, right? It's, the power is in the group itself and the mailing list. But I, the only thing we could do is sort of wield that soft power. We can talk to people and say, you know, come on, give this a shot. Sit down and listen to this. This is not as bad as you think it is sort of thing. Yeah. So then there's code that's got to get written and, and vendors that have to agree to this. So typically, when everybody coalesces around a, a standard of, of some flavor, it is then incumbent upon, in this case, we're talking about DNS vendors, I suppose, the open source community, Bind particularly. Bind, PowerDNS, not. You know, there's there's a couple of different DNS um, uh, servers out of Europe that have been very solid, very fast, very really performance-based. NSD and Unbound are sort of on the uh, out of the Netherlands, and Not is out of the uh, the Czech Republic, and they they're mostly fo- focused on they were, they built it for their TLD system, but they've done some really great benchmarking. If you look at if you look at their website, just in terms of like how many you know, it's like if you have these you know this number of zones and you sign them, it's like here's how long it takes to sort of start up, here's how long it takes to process all this stuff. It's they've done some very interesting number generation stuff. And so they're all sitting in that meeting. They're all sort of saying, oh, yeah, I support this. Yeah, yeah. It's like this looks like it's good stuff. What about for the mid and small operator? I mean, how do those changes trickle down to them? And there's a few scenarios here I can think of. One is operating systems. So you've got uh, Linux with DNS resolvers and, of course, Microsoft and Apple and a few other players from there. How long does it take for significant changes, for, particularly for resolvers, I suppose, to be implemented? Usually it's, I'd say maybe like a year or two, but the drafts don't actually move that fast. So it's sort of a, which one chases the other one sort of thing. You kind of get some sense that this is coming. Exactly. And since the drafts do have a a slow evolution, it takes time, then if you know it's coming and things are starting to firm up, you can start getting your code written to have it ready to be supported. And, And also contribute to the process, right? You know, the mailing list is always normative. So we always tell people, just chime in, right? If you don't think that's gonna, you know, deploy right, you know, speak up and say something, you know, see what's hey guys, going on. We started to code this and ran into this challenge or this exactly. issue or whatever. If we did it this way, that would be really better for us. Yeah. And I know that there's some of that. I mean, there's some vendors who are going to, because of their own particular situation, say, look, this is going to impact us in a major way. Yeah. You know, it doesn't impact you guys, but it does impact us if we could make this tweak that really improves exactly. things. And, you know, DNS is always full of, like, old, crusty people, right? That's always the story, right? <laughs> overall, you know, but, but it's, I think, you know, we're a little bit more flexible that way. And it's like, and I think it's like willing to listen to sort of good common sense. Right. I think like any engineer, right. It's like, Oh yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I can, I can adjust, adapt to that sort of thing. Are there big ideas in the, in, that you see coming down the road in the future or things that are going to be you know, maybe radically impacting to DNS? Um, I mean, I realize this, you, this is ops, right? I realize. No, and, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, people have been talking about like new naming systems, you know, the the block the blockchain people have come to us a little bit you know we've been talking with them it, it it's weird if something's going to happen it's going to sort of happen sort of in parallel right it's like and i you know if there's going to be like a new type of naming system that's a little more flexible or a little more secure or something like that it has to happen sort of as as, as sort of secondary because i think 
trying to make incremental adjustments to a very underlying protocol, right? It's like, it's yeah. so fundamental to how the internet yeah. operates. Yeah. So, again, you, you realize that as soon as Dyn got attacked, it's, yes, and all the, just the, the sheer volume of domains that were impacted exactly. by that, exactly. you, you realize just how big of a deal DNS yeah. is. Exactly. And and you don't think about it until you until you think about it, sort of thing, right? Like in the DNS privacy world, we're doing stuff with TLS, putting TLS inside DNS queries, right? So basically, you're doing authenticated queries to resolvers, and you're you're like, well, that's all over TCP. You know, that's sort of touching places that we've actually not gone before in DNS, right? And so it's like, it's very interesting. It's like, how's that all going to play out? Is, are people going to be, are they going to jump to it and stuff? And a lot of that came out of, some of it came out of the, the year, the summer of stone, as people call it. But I also saw a lot from this multi-tenancy world, right? You're in a shared cloud environment. You don't want your queries leaking into someone else. You know, you don't want maybe other competitors possibly seeing queries that you're making or, you know, you know, is there an unfair advantage? You know, what's going on, right? You want that sort of bit of saying, I, I want my stuff to be my stuff, right? I, I, I so, so I sort of view some of the DNS privacy stuff as, as sort of saying, I want to make queries to like a local resolver and I want that just basically, I just don't want to share with anybody else but them, right? Sort of thing. I trust them. I trust their security model. But leakage hasn't happened like in a big cloud environment, but you figure something like that's going to happen, much like something like, like the dying thing is going to happen, right? And I've been saying just, you know, is I expect sort of a multi-vendor DDoS attack against DNS vendors in the next 12 to 18 months coming from one of these sort of larger botnet things? I just, and, and I'm not a paranoid person. <laughs> and so, but I just say, I just expect it, right? It's like, so, I, you know, looking at like, you know, how do you deploy three vendors or how do you sort of sh- be able to sort of play with multiple vendors or how do you sort of shift traffic around sort of thing? Go back to this DNS multi-tenancy thing, you know, and the concern about leakage. Uh, part of the implication there is that you're running something against one, you know, big fat massive resolver that's supporting you know, hundreds, thousands of tenants. But, but with an NFV, isn't there a model opportunity there just doing lots of little teeny lots servers? Lots of little teeny servers, yep. But, and they're all traveling up the root path some way, right? Or everybody's just pointing to 8.8.8 in their, in their cloud and, and just going on the way, right? That's, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you sort of pour, t- tore a bunch of people's cloud environments apart. That's what they're all doing, right? You know, <laughs> just, just give Google all your data. It's okay. You can trust them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a pretty interesting conversation about DNS, and it's uh, kind of brought back to my mind a lot of what was interesting about it to me back in the day when DNS was a big part of my job. So kind of a closing question here. The, uh, there's a lot of people listening to this. They're, they're operators on, on some level. A lot of them are in smaller shops where they're not running. They're interested in DNS. It's certainly a big part of the world. They understand that. But maybe they're not you know, running massive resolvers for their customers. How could these kind of folks that are maybe interested and want to be part of the process and maybe other folks who just never have engaged with the IETF, how do you get involved? Are you looking for involvement? We're always looking for involvement. The, the draft that came out of um – about the Apex records yesterday was a new person. And we were like, oh, this is great. New, new blood is always good. Um, the mailing list is, is really where all the stuff happens. Sometimes it's a bit free for all with the NSOP because it's, there's so much stuff going on. So, okay. So the mailing list. So if you go up to IETF.org and, uh, and you start digging through, you can find all the different working groups, which is how the IETF is organized. So you're talking about the DNS ops mailing list specifically. Exactly. You search around and you can, you can drill into the side and, and subscribe uh, to it. You can look at the archives. You can figure out, you know, and just maybe look at the archives and figure out what we've been talking about for the past couple months or so. And, and there's been lots of stuff. The problem is what I've noticed is there's so much going on. We have so many people 
we've gotten this really good traction where we've gotten lots of stuff coming out. And so people are sort of coming up with ideas and submitting, submitting drafts and stuff. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, almost right now, it's almost like a, we're trying to play traffic cops. Okay. So people coming up with drafts. And one of the things I've learned in, in, in here at IETF 98 is essentially anyone can submit a draft. Exactly. Now the IETF does not suffer fools, but if you have a legitimate, interesting idea, you have the right as anybody to, to submit a draft and then see what happens with see it. See what happens. See if you get feedback. What, what we do as chairs is we look for stuff that looks interesting that may not actually get any kind of traction, and we start to reach out sometimes to especially new authors. You know, it's like, oh, we haven't seen them before. It's like, where this looks like it could be interesting. It looks like it may need some work, but let's let's get them involved. Let's you know, let's let's get people talking about it, sort of thing, right? So so we sometimes will. That's you know, the only thing that's the only real power we have as chairs is sort of trying to sort of help drive the conversation, and and. And, and, you know, we don't suffer fools, but at the same time, you know, we welcome, you know, sort of like interesting ways of looking at problems. That may not be the best way to solve it, but you've got us thinking in a direction. Now, now mailing, joining a new mailing list, especially a busy one, can be a little intimidating because you find out there's a lot of conversations going on and uh, topics that maybe you're not familiar with. It can all be you know, kind, kind of scary, especially if you want to raise your hand and say something. Is uh, and, and you mentioned, you know, oh, DNS, we, we got a lot of crusty old people involved, you know, a lot of gray beards kicking around. If folks are new and they should they be intimidated? Is there a strategy they can have? They shouldn't be intimidated. They should be willing to ask questions. You know, um, I think I think we've we've gotten very good at being um, very receptive, very responsive. You know, and and not being so you know so critical or so curmudgeonly, curmudgeonly sort of thing. <laughs> yes, we, we, yes. So we sort of welcome that, right? So. And, and that's why I sort of said, look at the archives for a while or reach out to the chairs. Um, Suzanne and I will, you know, we'll help guide you on stuff. You know, it's, it's, you know, that's part of what we're there for. So as chairs, you're, you're open to being addressed, you know, unicast, if you will. Exactly. And People saying, contact Help. us all the time. It's like, you know, what do I do about this draft? I was just submitted it. I'm kind of curious. And so it's, you know, we can, you know, we can help play the forcing function and getting people to sort of pay attention. So, and part of what I spend my time doing sometimes here is outside of me is talking to some of the other folks, you know, saying, you know, why don't I need you to review this you know you've got this draft that you want to push forward but i want you to review this draft because i think this one's interesting too right so i you know see you you can you can motivate people to get things done you can make sure people are paying attention to the things that you think or need attention we don't have any power but we sort of just i we just cajole people into like please come on you know you can do this sort of right right don't have powers and you you know like it's not a governance model where you know the working chair can make things happen but 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 you can you you can hurt the cats we can hurt the cats yes you know I'm very good at just talking, just sort of really like, please, come on, you know, and and just working folks really that way. And and folks can see that, you know, once they start looking at stuff, they start saying, oh, yeah, this looks interesting or this this has a, this has possibility sort of thing. We may not have done it this way, but I, I see where they're going with it kind of thing. You also mentioned that you're you're there to help facilitate and so on. Is this mostly what you do? Um, is, is act as this uh, working group chair as far as your day to day life, or is this no, like no, this is, like, is this like split between no, I have a, some other job? I have a day have. job. I work like seventy hours a week, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so this is like in my copious spare time, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it seems to vary by chair because some folks it's like that's more or less this is what they do as ITF, and and so in like in the. DNS privacy working group. It's a much many less drafts, smaller sets of discussion. It's it's much more framed, and so it's a lot less work in that regard. DNS op is definitely one more of the it's one of the more of the hectic ones. So it, it's it's sort of keeping all the sort of the the chairs in the air kind of thing at the same time, and and helping us basically 
where, you know, are we getting lost on anything, right? Are, are we forgetting something? You know, do we have something going on in the process? You know, th- that sort of thing. Yeah, I go through spurts where I may spend, I spent like a couple, last couple of weeks before here getting all the stuff organized that I wanted to do. I'll spend the next week or two, you know, winding down and, and sort of getting things ready to start moving things forward that we liked. And But then I'll, I may have to disappear for a few weeks and, you know, get paid or something right yeah. so 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 it does it there's sometimes there are some you know some crazy demands but luckily you know i work for folks that are they're very positive about it they they like what i do it, it is a good thing to be part of the community what i say is you know it's like if you work for a large company like that it's how you sort of get back right it's like oh we've made a lot of money on the internet right as a company so it's like isn't it time we sort of just do our part to get a little back sort of thing contribute back yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely I'm just laughing at your 70-hour week. And then I do this in my copious spare time. Yeah, yeah. Spare time, of yeah exactly. Of course. Well, Tim, um, I'm going to guess the answer is no because you don't have time. But are you social? Do you do you blog or, or are you on Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, somewhat. I don't. I do. I kind of go through spurts. But yeah, no, not so much. So yeah, I, I do. But it's more. I think it's more of a reading. It's more of a downtime. Like, let's, let me catch up on stuff. Can people follow you anywhere you'd point them to? I can't people follow me. Um, I think it's um, at Jelovich. J-E-L-A-V-I-C-H on Twitter and I do post occasionally and, and mostly, you know, random stuff I see on Hacker News like three in the morning when, you know, I, I can't sleep and, you know. <laughs> okay. And, and the missus is wondering like, what am I doing? And, you know, why aren't you in bed sort of thing, right? So, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Tim, for, oh, for no, coming thank on. You. And yeah. uh, the, the, this was great. Uh, raising awareness about what's going on within the DNS world. And much to my surprise, there's a lot of things going on. There's always, there's there's always, always issues. Yeah. There's always so, issues. And next time you have Greg to yell at me about DNS, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to you for listening to the Packet Pushers today. And our thanks to Huawei for helping to make this special series from ITF98 possible. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn. Like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough.